This is for you to write down a prayer on later and roll it up if you'd like and put it at one of our prayer stations. And so we're going to ask you to do that to participate in answering what God is saying to us today through this sermon. Now, you may notice that this says various scriptures at the top of your outline because we're going to be here, there, and wherever as we consider this idea of praying together. Let's pray right now. God, our Father, we come before you and we have some expectation of what's next. We're going to do things a little bit different on purpose. Well, the sermon will be similar. I'm going to stand up here and talk to us about what the Bible says, and we're going to pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us through my words, and most particularly through the words of Scripture. But how we get to respond and how we answer the challenge of the sermon, where we can exercise faith and take the extra step of writing down a prayer, writing down a name or a scripture, and then coming forward to put that, if you will, at this altar, dedicated and set apart to you, God, the sovereign God of the whole universe, who can do what we can't, who can do what we won't. So God, we come to you today and we know that you are in this place by your Holy Spirit and we look forward to your movement. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I think it was five and a half years ago, Melanie and I had the opportunity to go to San Francisco for a conference for her and I got to go along and, you know, carry her bags and stuff like that, travel with her. And uh, when we're in San Francisco, we ask people where they like to eat this kind of food, where they like to eat this kind of food, and you know, because we're taking public transportation because it's easy and great in San Francisco. But ahead of time, a friend of hers had said, there's this restaurant you have to go to called Flower and Water. I'm like, Flower and Water? What kind of name is that? Oh, it's an Italian place, Flower plus Water. You make pasta, right? And so we called the restaurant and found out that their reservations were booked out like six weeks ahead of time. We're like, "Um, we're going to be there in two weeks. What do we do? We heard we're supposed to come here. Please give us a spot. And they said, oh, that's okay. We leave about half of our places open every night. But if you show up before open around 530, you get at the front of the line and then you can, you know, get in the restaurant. But you might have to wait even longer depending on how many people show up. And we're like, we could do this. We're on vacation. We got no kids. So, you know, we took our public transportation. We walked. We got there. We were like early in line. The, the guy we met in line, Nick Farrago and his wife, or not his wife, his parents, I, I still have his contact information. I, I emailed him about a week ago. I was like, hey, Nick. Uh, anyhow, so we're just standing in line waiting to go in this Italian restaurant. We eat this amazing meal. Her friend was right. It was incredible. I had raviolis with duck and fig on the inside. Okay, sounds weird, but it was totally cool. And it had this kind of savory, sweet sauce over the raviolis. And of course, you know, some freshly grated Parmesan and all that kind of stuff. And both of us get done with our plates. Do you know what you had? Do you remember? No, okay. I remember. And you know, there's like some some sauce still on the plate. And our waiter comes by. And he kind of looks at our plates and he looks at us and he says, I'll be right back. I'm going to bring you some bread. You're like, bread, yes. 
you know, bread from a place like that. And he comes back and he tells us something. He said, Scarponi. Scarponi, what does that mean? Sounds like an Italian word. It is an Italian word. It's the name of when your shoe leather scrapes on the pavement. He says, so you get some bread and you scrape the last little bits of the sauce up from your plate and you eat it. And that's the way you finish your meal. I was like, yes, simple, flour and water, duck and fig, some saucy stuff and a little bit of bread. And it was just amazing because it was simple. Sometimes simple things are the best things. There's something we see that we see maybe every day, but it catches our eye and there's something about it that's beautiful that we say, wow. There's an act of grace that we observe one person with another person and your heart is touched and your mind is moved and you just say, look at that, isn't that beautiful? A word of encouragement fitly spoken that you say, yes, isn't that amazing? Or even a prayer offered in faith that it seems like the other person says just the right things at just the right time. Our sermon series, Better Together, is all about how God has made us to complement one another, to complete one another, to fit in with one another, to be better together than we ever were alone. The Bible gives us examples of that we are a body, and a body has all these parts that work together. And we're a building, and the building has all these parts that work together. But it's more than that. It's not just this thing, it's how we live together. Jesus calls us to belong, not just to believe. And as he calls us to belong, there's ways in which he tells us we should belong together. And it's right here in his word. And he gives us example after example of praying together. So this will be a bit of a different sermon because most of my sermons, you know, I try to take from one text and we go phrase by phrase and word by word. But this one with the idea of praying together, I was like, there's not a single text that says it just the way I had in my mind as I prayed this through. So we're going to take a handful of different texts. But before we do that, we've got our scripture memory verse for the month. And that scripture memory verse for the month is actually one of our points in a few moments, and that's James 5.16. So let's say it together. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5, 16. Very specific. Got to take some notes, and I hope that, and I won't preach it now. We'll get there in a moment. But if you've got your outline with you, and you're going to take some notes, and I hope that you do, right there, the very first point is in praying together, we devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer. So I know I've got seven different scriptures today, but we'll give you enough time to turn between them. The first one is Acts 2.42. And this is a famous scripture of the first church in Acts 2.42. And as Pentecost happens and as the Holy Spirit falls on people, the response then of the people is recorded in verses 42 through 47, the end of Acts chapter 2. And notice what it says they did in response to the Holy Spirit falling on them and so many people trusting Christ as their Savior. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so that's doctrine, and to fellowship and uh, breaking bread, that's community, and a prayer. 
There was three things that they devoted themselves to, three things that they gave themselves to, three things that at the very beginning of the church that we are still part of today, the New Testament church that we were supposed to do. We're supposed to study God's word and know how it fits together. We're supposed to meet together in order to encourage one another and share life together, even sharing meals together. And we're supposed to pray together. Which ones of those do we do the best? I mean, we're a Baptist church, right? I know I've been told I shouldn't say we're on the way to heaven with a casserole dish in our hands. We don't do as many fellowships as we used to do. But think about it. We study God's word. I had somebody ask me just this week, Pastor, why don't you observe communion every week in your church? I said, well, that comes from sacramental churches like the Catholic church that believe the sacraments are the way to salvation. Therefore, you've got to receive communion when you worship every week in order to Be saved, basically. I know that's a simplification of it. But for us, the central facet of our worship service is studying God's Word. Yes, we sing together. Yes, we give together. Yes, we pray together. But you notice we give me 30 plus minutes every week to preach. Because it's God's Word, the bread of life, that we open. So for us, teaching and doctrine is a key. I think we do pretty well at getting together and sharing our lives together. We meet together, but we could do better outside of Sunday morning. We'll hear that in the weeks ahead. But then praying together is, I think, maybe where we need the most help. Prayer is powerful. You know that. I hope you know that. I hope you've observed that, seen that in your own life. And prayer together is even more so. If you look back over the course of history, every revival in history was spurred through prayer. God put it in a person's heart to pray, or God put it in a group of person's heart to pray. And that person then began to beseech and beg and ask God to bring revival, to change their heart, to change their life, to change their town, to change their nation. And prayer was the key, especially group prayer, corporate prayer. Ed Stetzer and Tom Rayner did a study years ago called Transformational Church, and they identified seven elements characterizing churches with significant transformations in the lives of church members and in the church itself. And the one factor that was true of every one of those transformational churches, beyond everything else, was prayerful dependence that that church sought to depend on God through prayer. Even though they had good organizations and good programs and did all the right things and did them all the right ways, there was a spiritual element motivated by the gospel and that they prayed together depending on God to do things that they couldn't. So your application question there is, how important is my practice of prayer? In your life, how were you to rate it on a 1 to 10 scale? 1 being the least, 10 being the greatest. How would you say? On your average day, your average week, how important does prayer look? Not what you say it is, but what it actually is in the way you spend your time. I know you've got to go to work. I know you've got to sleep. I know you've got to take care of your kids if you've still got them at the house. But in the time that you have, that you have some flexibility in, how much of that time gets prayer? If you're like me, not enough, right? You know you should but you somehow find something else to do. Now, I'm not negating the fact that we can pray while we do other things. I'm riding my bike. I can pray. While you're walking the dog, you can pray. While you're washing the dishes, you can pray. While you're ironing your children's clothes or your own, you can pray. You can pray at all times. That's the amazing thing about prayer. 
But there are times when we need to set aside and focus on prayer without any distractions at all. Let's move on to your next point. Your next point is that we model prayer for others. We model prayer for others. I told you the story a few weeks ago about one of our preschoolers that when I was invited to celebrate National Cookie Day at Awana's, that this little four-year-old prayed the most beautiful, amazing prayer. And I thought, how did this little guy learn this? He heard his mom and dad pray that way. He had heard it modeled so often that he knew the way to pray and he knew how to pray. And he's four years old. And I was just touched to tears. We model prayer for others. Uh, if you haven't already, turn over to Luke chapter one or 11 with me. Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, we're in the gospel there of Luke. And look what it says in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, so he was already about the work of prayer. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And then you get what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, right? We know it best from the Matthew version, but here it is in Luke. Jesus was praying. I've told you before that I'll never forget when I was a kid. The way our house was set up is mom and dad's bedroom was on one side, then the kitchen and dining area, then our living room, and then the kids' bedrooms were back a hall on the other side. And I'll never forget, year after year, day after day, coming out in the morning from my hallway into the living area, looking to the kitchen, hungry for breakfast, and there sitting on the end of the couch with the lamp turned on would be my mother with her Bible open and her head bowed. And if my father was home, where would you find him? In the study in the front of the house, at his desk, with his lamp on and his Bible open and his head bowed. Where did I learn about following Jesus? I saw my mom and dad do it. I saw them model prayer for me. And not only did I see them pray, but they prayed for me. They prayed with me. And as I got older and my needs changed, they prayed in those ways as well. We model prayer for others. So your question of application there is, how often do I pray with others? Not just for others, but with others. When Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, it was an activity they were going to do together. He had to teach them, therefore he was with them. And he showed them, here's what you say. And I've preached a sermon series on that. You can do a Bible study on the model prayer. And it's amazing the depth of the Lord's prayer. But they teach them to pray by praying with them. How about you? How often do you pray with others? I tease that we don't need to offer what I call a God, the world, and other things prayer. That if somebody shares a need with us, right then and there, we can say, let's stop and pray for that. You pray for that one specific thing. It's powerful. You put your arm around them, put your hand on their shoulder, or grab their hand, whatever you can do, wherever you're at, or if you're on the phone, or even on a video uh, call together. Pray right then and there. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Pray right then and there, and pray for them later. And keep praying for them. Pray with Others, a simple prayer as soon as you can. Let's move to the third point on your outline. And that's that we prepare ourselves for 
powerful prayer. We prepare ourselves for powerful prayer. Now, this one's a little bit, what do, I mean? what do you mean? Do I have to get myself ready to pray? Do I have to like do some stretches and limber up, Pastor Aaron? And run in place and get my heart rate going so I'm ready to pray? No. Really, it's part of the prayer, right? It's part of the prayer that as you come to God in prayer, you say, God, is there anything in my life that I need to confess in order that I might hear you clearly as I pray? You certainly worship God for who He is and what He's done in your life, and you give Him thanks. But these parts is this model that my dad taught me, A-C-T-S, adoration, that's worship of God. C is confession, confession of my sins. T is thanksgiving, that's me telling God thank you. And then the last one, the S, sometimes we skip to the S and we forget the first three, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. The last one is supplication. That's a fancy word for your request, right? If you go in my office, you'll see on the lower shelf a blue Bible that my mom and dad gave me on Easter right after I turned 10 years old. And my dad wrote in there, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And so in my mind as I'm praying, I think about that. Okay, am I thanking God for who He is? Am I confessing my known sins and asking Him, are there any sins that I don't know about that I need to confess? Am I thanking Him for what He's done? And then am I bringing my request to Him? Now, you don't do that every single time you pray, but if you're entering into a season of prayer where you're praying for an extended period of time and you're not in a rush and it's not just a quick prayer for someone else, you prepare yourself. Let's look at James 5.16. So if you haven't turned back there already, towards the back of your New Testament, behind Hebrews, you get to James. And James, Jesus' half-brother. James, who was said to, uh, uh, by uh, church historians to have knees like that of a camel because he spent so much time in prayer that there were calluses on his knees. What does he say to us? It was our scripture memory verse of the month. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, if somebody's getting healed, that's powerful. That's effective. But look at what's implied there that you've got to be a righteous person. But look at how you get to be a righteous person. One way is confess your sins for each other. Look at how you demonstrate your righteousness. You pray for each other. It's all in there. One little verse, but it's implied of how we're supposed to live and the outcome of our life is powerful prayer. So your question next is how do I spiritually prepare to pray? Your prayers kind of go like this. God, you got to help me out of this jam. Thanks, bye. Or do you take the time to pray, to adore Him, to confess to give thanksgiving, then to bring your request. To be thoughtful in your relationship with God for who He is and what He's done. That you spiritually prepared your heart to pray. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever offer that sort of quick prayer. When something scary happens, yeah, your first thought is, oh God, save us. Or oh God, help us. That's good that that's instinctual. That's good because God can and will answer But again, when you have time, remember to adore and worship God, to confess your known sin to Him, 
to thank him for everything that he's done, and then to bring your request, to prepare yourselves to pray. Your fourth point says, we live for the sake of our prayers. Now, if you're in James, this one's in 1 Peter, so it's just a next page or two over, and we'll get there in just a moment, but we live for the sake of our prayers. Now, when you first see that point, you're like, what do you mean I live for the sake of prayers? You know, you might say, well, I live for Jesus, not prayer. Or you might say, I live for fill in the blank. You know, my purpose in life is, if you've gone to a seminar and made a purpose or a mission statement or something like that. But here's what I mean by that. Let's get to the scripture now. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, It's speaking of husbands, right? But look at the example it gives us. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know I love the so that, right? Did you see everything that preceded the so that? And again, this is using husbands as an example. That husbands, in order for your prayers to be heard and not hindered, to be considered effective as God wants them to be, there's some certain things you as a husband have to do. You have to be considerate of your wife. You have to be respectful of your wife. And you have to treat them with grace in life. That the way you live your life affects your prayers. You ever thought about that one before? It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Maybe that's part of the reason when you offer your prayers, you feel like God's not listening because you got all the stuff that you're doing over here that's sinful and disobedient to him. And he's not answering your prayers because he wants you to get this right in order that then you would come before him holy and righteous, dedicated, set apart to him. And then he's going to answer your prayers. He's trying to get your attention. Look at verse 12 of the same uh, chapter, chapter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, you're probably sitting here going, hey, Pastor Aaron, I'm in church on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm not evil. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. So is mine. We're all evil by our nature. We're all sinful by our nature. And the Bible says that God is against those who are evil. But his eyes are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to the prayers of the type of person who's dedicated themselves to him. That's what I mean when I've said in this point that you have to live for the sake of your prayers. Let's get one more verse to help us understand this. And that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And it says there, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Life's getting worse before it gets better, God says. And you've got to be alert and sober-minded so you can pray. It's how you live that affects how you pray. That's what I mean by this point, our prayers. Let's move on. To that next question is, why does my lifestyle matter? I think I've already answered it, right? How I live affects my prayers. It matters how I live. The righteousness I pursue. Jesus living through me. Let's move on to your fifth point. We depend on God through prayer. 
That's back over in John 15, 5. John 15 is beautiful. If you've never done the simple little study, Abide in Christ. It's a little book you can even buy at Walmart. It walks you through the entirety of John 15, and it'll be a blessing to you with those daily devotionals. But look at what John 15, 5 says. It says that I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think I skipped my point, didn't I, Sean? So let's go back there. That we depend on God through prayer. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. What happens when you take a branch off of the vine or the trunk? It's dead, right? You've got to be attached to Jesus as the vine. You've got to be dependent on Him. And prayer, more than anything in your life, demonstrates to God that you belong to Him, that you are depending on Him. I love what Dr. Tony Evans said. He said, if life gets too hard to stand, kneel. If life gets too hard to stand, kneel. Depend on God when there's no one else. How about depend on God even when there is somebody else? That you live a life of righteousness seeking to depend on Him. Your question for application there asks, when do I rely on God the most? Um, Well, truth be told, when I get in a jam and I can't do it myself. Yeah, that's most of us. Truth be told is when I don't think all my money in the bank's going to meet all my bills that month. Everything, and I seek to rely on God. When I'm faced with a situation that I've tried everything I know and the person's just driving me crazy and I can't live like this, then I turn to lie on God. God wants us to have a relationship with Him all the time. Every time as we seek to live righteously for Him. And He fills us with His Spirit as we come to Him with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then our request of supplication that we rely on Him day in, day out, and we depend on Him as a branch depends on the vine. Let's move on to your sixth point. This one brings us back more to the idea of praying together, that we agree with one another in prayer. We agree with one another in prayer. It is a powerful thing to pray with others. And it is a powerful thing to know that others are agreeing with you. And then to see God answer when you've prayed together, that's crazy. Crazy cool. If you're not already there, turn back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 20. This kingdom principle that Jesus speaks here. He says, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I I am with them. I was talking just yesterday with a friend about this passage of Scripture. As he mentioned it, as God spoke it to him, and he saw the value of meeting with other believers in Jesus, that they might speak truth to him. He might learn from them and that we might pray together in agreement for what God can do in our lives. 
God calls us together to live together, to share our lives together, to pray together. So your question there is, who do I pray with most? I have to confess, I could do a better job at this. Praying with my wife, praying with my kids, praying with you. I wonder if some of you are like me in that. That you know you should, but somehow you don't feel like you have time or you come up with some other reason or excuse that you don't pray with others. Part of our idea today, and this idea came in a together sort of fashion, right? Was me bringing this better together idea to Myra and then Myra going and looking on the internet and doing some other creative stuff using her own mind of how can we engage our people to pray together? And then Myra talking to Nora, and Nora coming up with these super cool things that are really chicken wire. <laughs> but it's just so creative. I walked in last week, and I went, wow, that's cool. How did they get those LED lights to do that? Is that some sort of special plexiglass or something? No, it's chicken wire. But there's a purpose for it. You see some in there already, right? The purpose for it is what we're going to ask you to do at the end of this service if you're willing to come down and do it. We're not going to make anybody is to write out a prayer that means something to you, whatever's on your heart, roll it up and come stick it in here. And it's going to stay here in front of us for the rest of this sermon series, three more weeks of Better Together sermons, to remind us that we're praying for these things together. Now, nobody's going to go up and unroll all the scrolls and look at them and, you know, oh, I wonder who prayed this. <laughs> no, no, none of that's happening. I mean, these are confidential, right? but that it's symbolic to us. Now, here's the other thing we're going to invite you to do. If you'd like to, there's going to be a few couples and a few individuals down here across the front that will pray with you for those things. Or maybe something else. Maybe what you wrote on that paper is so private you don't want to mention it out loud yet. But maybe there's something else you want to pray with them about. You got your paper in your hand and you stick that over there, but you come right down here and you pray with them. Or maybe you want to bring somebody with you and pray at this altar. You can pray right there where you're at. You can grab somebody's hand and go out in the hallway if you want to pray. But when we're done with my sermon and we have a time of invitation, we're going to sing ever so briefly, and then we're going to open it up for you to come fill these prayer stations with your prayers, fill this altar with your persons, and offer your prayers to God together with one another. And you can write a single name, a single scripture. You can write out an entire prayer. You can write out a plea, a request. Whatever you want to write, you can write on that sheet of paper. It's yours. You can fill up both sides if you want. You can pray with somebody. You can pray alone. But we want you to pray. Here's a final point for us to consider. We prioritize prayer in all our life. We prioritize prayer in all our life. Maybe you have the habit of you pray first thing in the morning. Maybe you should have the habit you pray first time in the morning. Maybe you're a night owl and you can pray well in the evening and not fall asleep or before you go to bed. But is prayer on your calendar? Is it in your life? 
Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, our final scripture this morning. It says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Who's it talking about? It's talking about when Jesus had ascended to heaven, before he sent the Holy Spirit, and he told the disciples to gather together and pray and wait. Wait and pray for him to send the Holy Spirit upon them. And what did they do? They did what he said. They prayed and wait and they joined together constantly in prayer. No one was left out. And even Jesus' family, his mother and his half-brothers were there praying with them. Your final question is, how can I make prayer a greater habit? How can you make prayer a greater habit in your life? Craig Groeschel said that what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. I would even amend that and say that you pray reflects that you believe about God. How much you pray reflects how big you believe God is. So two final points for us today. The first one is to change your life. Anybody want to guess? Pray more. If you want to see your life change like nothing else you can do, it's not about a new diet program, a new exercise program, or going to a conference or a seminar. It is simple. Pray more. That'll change your life. And can you guess what the next one is? To change others' lives, pray for and with them. Not just pray for them, but as you are able, pray with them too. Invite them to pray with you. Pray for them whether they want to or not. Pray for them. I'm expectant to see what God does in these moments ahead in our worship service. And as we carry these ideas of praying for and with others forward in the weeks and months ahead, what He does in our midst. Let me lead us in prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this time of exercising our faith in prayer, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you are God, awesome and holy, loving and gracious. And Father, if there is within any heart and mind listening to me now, known sin that is unconfessed, would we confess it to you freely and without hesitation that we might receive your grace like you tell us. Father, if there's any person here that is of the age where they understand their own sinfulness and accountability for their sin, who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, would they make that commitment right now? And Father, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, but something's got in our way to hinder us in our prayers, would we confess that to you? As we come to this time of prayer now, God, we commit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.